this is the last uh, Sunday of the Christmas season. Tomorrow uh, is uh, the Feast of Epiphany in the church calendar. Uh, so we're still allowed to have the Christmas decorations up till tomorrow. And uh, our scripture for this morning is John 1, um, 1 through 18. I've split it to just do uh, 1 through 5 and 4 to 18, and we'll focus, we'll focus on that. And traditional, yes. So this is the, uh, the voice translation. Yeah. Uh, it's called the voice translation. Uh, and I use it from time to time. Uh, and I like, I like the way it's a different translation uh, for this uh, particular passage that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Perhaps um, maybe for us we can hear it a little bit differently. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever-present with the creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in him. His breath, breath filled all things with a living, breathing light, a light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We have seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor, the one true son of the Father, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. John the Baptist testified about him and shouted, This is the one I've been telling you is coming. He is much greater than I am because he existed long before me. Through this man we receive gifts of grace beyond our imagination. You see, Moses gave us rules to live by, but Jesus, the anointed, offer us, offered us gifts of grace and truth. God, unseen until now, is revealed in the voice, God's only Son, straight from the Father's heart. So traditionally on Epiphany, uh, Epiphany is uh, tomorrow. Some churches celebrate Epiphany today. Um, Epiphany text is typically the text of the Magi coming and seeing Jesus. Uh, I wanted to look at this text uh, this morning since we have talked in previous years uh, about the story of the Magi coming and visiting Jesus um, and really embrace this final Sunday of the Christmas season even though all the stores have already traded uh, the Christmas decorations for Valentine's. Um, And I want us to really look um, not only at um, our resolutions for the new year, um, if we have any, um, but contemplate how quickly um, we fall back into patterns of unconscious living. Uh, one of Andrea and I's uh, collective resolutions this year is to read uh, some of the all-time great classic books. Uh, that's kind of one of our, our resolutions, is just to read some of the classic books. And we started with uh, the book 1984, um, which I'm sure many of you have read. Um, in a line that has struck me so far in that book is this uh, phrase, orthodoxy is unconscious. Orthodoxy is is unconscious. It's so very easy for us to live unconsciously, to fall back into the patterns of living that we've always known, or to applaud the events and norms of our world and culture, which includes well-worn paths of media or cultural narratives that often go unquestioned. This week, there have been many Christians and Americans 
that have applauded the, uh, applauded the assassination of Qasem Soleimani from Iran. I'm sure you've seen this on the news. In doing so from a personal perspective, is far from any value or ethic resembling the life of Jesus, not to mention the global risk for escalating violence and potential loss of human life. Uh, Thankfully, the decision towards war and violence has also been critiqued by many Christians and advocates for peace and nonviolent resistance. But how quickly do we forget the Christmas message? We forget the Christmas message by slipping into unconscious ways of living. Seasonal messages like peace on earth are not simply traditions like placing an angel on top of the Christmas tree. They're actually supposed to alter our lives and the world towards peace. They're not just traditions. They're not just things we say. They're supposed to change the way we live in the world, and they're supposed to change our world. We, too, are not immune to this forgetting. Our text today is a classic piece of literature. It's probably one of the most well-known first phrases um, in perhaps English literature. It's like Shakespeare. Um, You might know the traditional reading, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christians and non religious people Uh, alike, uh, revere this text for its poetic beauty, its philosophy, and uh, Christians for its developed Christology, what it means about Jesus. John's prologue is what it's referred to, is one of the most studied pieces uh, of the New Testament. Not only is the author of the gospel celebrating the incarnation of Christ, which is the meaning of Epiphany. Uh, The celebration, the Feast of Epiphany, has been celebrated in some shape or form since around the 4th century, and it celebrates the revelation of God's incarnation in the person of Jesus. So John's John's prologue, um, you know, not only celebrates the incarnation of Christ into the world through the person of Jesus, but the author is connecting that revelation to the foundational truth of the universe by writing a new Genesis. So when the author writes, in the beginning, the author is crafting a new Genesis and connecting the creation of the universe to the person of Jesus. It's really profound if you think about it. John is intentionally framing the Jesus narrative within the Hebrew creation narrative. Without the cosmology, John is saying that the creation of the universe 13.8 billion years ago is the same force that created you and me, gives us the experience of grace and truth that he talks about, and it dwells fully in the person of Jesus. John is making a huge statement about creation and new creation that the fullness of God God dwelt not merely in the temple, but in the very person of Jesus. The magnitude of this kind of expression gives me the kind of brain freeze, like an impossible math problem that I can't entangle, or the feeling of imagining multiple universes. The claim that in the beginning the love and the truth of God that existed in Christ existed before and behind time and came into existence in our construct of time has important implications for conscious living. Um, Jesus and great spiritual teachers throughout all traditions refer to this kind of experience as waking up. Jesus often says being born again. 
Um, Paul in Ephesians says it like this, Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. And in John's prologue, John focuses on the gifts of grace that are found in Jesus that also exist eternally. If we take seriously this prologue from John, and if we carry its troop deep within us, our spiritual tradition teaches us that these good, good gifts of grace from Jesus, when practiced, transform our lives, develop our communities, and change the world. So let's briefly refresh our memories of what these good gifts of grace in Jesus are like. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are the hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to a neighbor, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? If God fully dwells in the person of Jesus, and this love is the same force from the beginning of time, and the same miracle that created you and me, then God can only be discovered, known, and experienced in the solidarity with the poor, the hungry, the weeping. God can only be experienced in loving our enemies, not bombing them. God can only be experienced in loving our enemies, not bombing them. This week, Trump told a group of evangelical Christians in Florida, God is on our side. Let me be very clear. God is not on Trump's side. Trump is an abuser of paper-thin, phony, religious BS, while he and his administration enact policies that rob the life and dignity from people created in the image of God, and they use language that influence millions of people to think some are superior to others based on one's country of origin, one's religion, or one's color of skin. This is supported by the complicity of Republican politicians that refuse to say anything, much less something that resembles the teaching or life of Jesus that John and the Gospels refer to. This is as far from Orthodox Christianity as possible. 
It is the opposite of everything good and true about life and humanity. And this kind of language used by Trump and the administration and applauded by Christians is nothing more than nationalism and white supremacy veiled by claims that God is on their side and using this kind of vile, indecent way of living and thinking. Trump called for war crimes yesterday on innocent civilians in Iran, and evangelical Christians in our country are silent or worse, adamantly supporting a person in an ideology rooted in the dehumanization of others. It is utter nonsense and is antithetical to Jesus and the gospel. How quickly we forget the Christmas message. A few weeks ago, the Trump administration single-handedly implemented a new rule without congressional approval that could rob food subsidies from 700,000 700, Americans in poverty. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor, just blessed are the hungry. The Feast of Epiphany is traditionally about a revelation from God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, and I think our country and our religion needs a revelation. God can only be experienced in the embrace of the other, the face of the oppressed, resisting the calls to unconscious consumerism, the blind celebration of country or party. Embracing life means caring for all life, and that means nonviolence is not checking out, but it is the most fierce form of resistance of the life that John speaks about at the beginning of this gospel, because it goes against all calls for bland, personal self-help. It pushes back against the fossil fuel industry that is responsible for 4.6 million deaths a year due to air pollution. It questions a country that says healthcare for everyone is too expensive when we spend $2 billion a day on war. While 500,000 people in our country are on the street, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In 2020, let us not slip into, into unconscious living. May we know and remember the good gifts of grace found in the beginning of the universe, found in Jesus, so that we might live in a new way, creating a world of love, dignity, and true grace for all people. Let's pray.